Well, back in December, we were getting a new TV. I found one of those great Black Friday deals, super cheap, and it was the TV that I was looking for, and I was really excited about it. And then after you order the TV, you start to check the shipping notifications. And as the shipping notifications were coming in, and, and then we, were, uh, we discovered it was going to be delivered on a Sunday afternoon. So we were at our house, and the doorbell ring as we were watching football, and I ran out to the porch, and there was the TV, and I drug it in the house, and I turned it around, and there I saw along the box was a tear all along the box. I'm guessing a razor blade as they were cutting some plastic uh, in, the, in the shipment. It had gone through, and that's not exactly the first sign you want to see on a TV, the box being cut open uh, before you open the box. Nevertheless, I'm like, all right, maybe everything inside will be fine. It wasn't. I opened up, and there, right along the screen, you could just see that the screen was just cut all the way along the, the size of the box. So I called Walmart, who I ordered it from, and they were great about it. They're like, just bring it back to the store, and we'll refund you your money. But I got a really good deal on it, and it's the TV that I wanted. So I was like, is there any way you could just return this one and then ship me another one? And they said, we're sorry, sir, we're completely sold out of them online. You'd have to be able to find one in the store. So I took it back to the Walmart in Sturgeon Bay. They took the, they took the return. They were great. They unfortunately didn't have any in stock. I drove home. I was like, man, I really want that TV for the price I got it. it it's great. And I decided I would, I would search the Walmart inventory. And so I did and started looking at Walmarts all over Green Bay and kept striking out until I reached the promised land of De Pere. And there in De Pere were two televisions from, from Walmart in stock of the TV that I had ordered. I'm like, fantastic, that's great. So I ordered it, paid for it, got it, and I, I just had to go pick it up, got in the car, drove uh, to De Pere, made it to Walmart, got the television, got it back in the car, started to drive home. The roads had turned a little icy, so I had to go a little bit slower home, made it home, Took the TV into the room. We weren't mounting it on a wall. It was going on a stand, so we had to put the legs on the TV, and I assembled the TV, which really isn't much of an accomplishment, but it's starting to feel good, and I'm, I'm assembling a, you know, just a few pieces, and I'm down to the last leg, and that's when I realized that the TV had two right legs and no left legs. And I know what some of you who know me are thinking right now. And yes, I checked. It was not operator error. There were two right legs in the box and no left legs. So I called Walmart back and said, hey, I just got this TV, and there are two right legs in it but no left legs. Could you send me a left leg, and I'll send you the right leg? And they said, we're sorry, sir, we can't do that. So what do I have to do? Well, just return the television to the Walmart, and they'll be happy to refund your money. I said, well, let me ask you something. I got a TV earlier today that was damaged in shipment and returned it to the Sturgeon Bay Walmart and just got this television from the De Pere Walmart. And it dawned on me about when I got those words out of my mouth that the person that I was talking to in Kansas didn't really care, but I still told him anyway. I said, would it be possible for me to take the extra second right leg to the Walmart I returned the damaged TV to and swap it out for a left leg that was in that box? And they said, well, you can try. 
And I said, can you do better than try? They said, hold on for a minute, which turned into 14. Uh, but who's counting? And then they came back and they said, all right, we can, we can do that swap for you. Just go into Walmart and explain to them what's going on. They'll be happy to do that. I said, is there any way you could call Walmart and let them know for me? Because if I walk into Walmart and I say, hey, I'm the customer that brought back the television that was cut in shipment earlier today, and now I just drove to the pier and got another television, but this television has two right legs and no left leg, is there any way I can give you one of the extra right legs for one of the left legs that's still in that package that I returned earlier today? They're just going to look at me with a confused look on their face and probably not help me. She said, hang on a minute. And this time it only turned into five minutes. And she said, they will be happy to help you. They'll handle it. And they did. And it was fantastic. And everything was made right in the world. Sometimes when we're missing an ingredient, it's not that big of a deal. Some of you are great cooks. You're, you're great bakers. And you know if you run out of something, if you run out of an ingredient, you can, you can improvise. And nobody's going to know the difference. But sometimes missing an ingredient is a major deal. And there are some things that you're going to make and all of a sudden you realize we're out of this and you can no longer make for dinner what you were planning to make for dinner all because you're missing one or two ingredients. You can't have a television on a stand work when you don't have two legs to keep the television standing upright. It doesn't work. Even though it seems to be a small part of it, whole operation hinges upon it. Last week, we started something called Who Are We? And it's a look at who we are as Lakeside Community Church. And everything we do at Lakeside is driven by our vision and our mission. And our vision is this, that we help people move one step closer to Jesus and reach those far from him. That drives everything that we do. Every program we do, every ministry decision that we make is driven by that context, that we exist to help people move one step closer to Jesus and reach those far from him. So regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, there is always another step you have to take to grow closer to Jesus. And our goal is to be here alongside of you, encouraging you, challenging you, praying for you, cheering you on, and coming alongside of you in that spiritual journey. And we also have a heartbeat for people who've not yet made the decision to follow Jesus, because as we look at the message of Jesus and the message of hope throughout the New Testament, we see that God had a huge heart for people who hadn't yet followed him as well. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 8, and we saw the parable of the sower, where Jesus told a story. And in that story, he told of a farmer who would throw out seed, and that seed would land on four different kinds of soil. And yet the fascinating thing is in the story that Jesus told about the farmer who's sowing seed, only one of the four soils was ultimately going to lead to the harvest the farmer desired. Which to us means our job as people who follow Jesus is to sow more seed realizing that most people we share the love and hope of Jesus with are going to reject that message. Most people aren't going to be receptive to the message of Jesus. And that shouldn't discourage us all the more. It should just encourage us to remember that our job, we've never been called to be responsible for the harvest. What we will give an account before God for is whether or not we have been faithful in telling people the hope, the reason for the hope that we have. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to sow seed. God's responsibility is to bring forth the harvest. That's not our job. That's not our responsibility. 
And so as people who love and follow Jesus, we just said, as, as people who want to see the Lakeshore region transformed with the hope of Jesus, because we look at our culture and we look at our society and we see that there are so many people who need hope, that our heartbeat at Lakeside is we are going to live out this vision. We are going to live out this mission to help people move one step closer to Jesus and reach those far from him. And today, we're going to look at two other components that are vital for us to live out, to be the church that God has called us to be, and they start with us living them out personally. So if you have your Bibles, your phones, or your tablets with the Bible app on it, I'd encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 18. If you're streaming from home, the verses will be available down below. And if you're here and you don't have a Bible or your phone or your tablet doesn't have the Bible app yet installed on it, the verses will be available on the screens beside as we look at, a, at two other stories that Jesus told, two additional parables starting in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, where we read these words. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So before we even get to the parable, before we even get to the story that Jesus was telling the audience, we're already told what the point of the parable is. The point of the parable is that you would always pray. When times are good, that you would pray. When times are bad, that you would pray. In seasons of success, you would pray. In seasons of difficulty, you would pray. When you think you've got the solution already figured out, you would pray. When you think you have no idea what the solution is, you would pray. You would always, 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 always pray. That's the point of the parable, that you would always pray. And the second point of the parable is that you would not lose heart. And this is interesting. Because things that are easy and things that are natural just happen. You don't have to tell somebody don't lose heart when something's easy or when something's natural. The very idea that Jesus is introducing this theme of not losing heart tells us that prayer in some seasons of our lives is going to be incredibly difficult. That There are going to be times in our life where we do not understand what God is up to. We do not understand what's going on. And even in those seasons and even in those circumstances, when God is answering prayer in ways different than we wish he would answer them, that we are not to lose heart. But we are to always pray and not give up. Jesus goes on. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Some of you are like, yeah, I've known a judge or two. That sounds about right. But this isn't reserved for judges. This isn't reserved for judicial officials or government employees. The people in every walk of life, in every aspect of life, can carry themselves this way. Jesus is telling us, here's a judge, and the judge doesn't fear God, and he doesn't care about people. He's completely arrogant. He's self-absorbed. He doesn't care about God whatsoever, and he doesn't care about people. This is the context of the judge that Jesus is building for us in this parable. So we're told about the judge, and now we contrast the judge who is powerful in a powerful position and has a major platform as a judge, and we contrast the judge with the next character in Jesus' story. And there was a widow in that city, who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. 
the contrast could not be greater. Between the platform and the power of the judge and the position of the widow. The fact that the widow herself had to go to court tells us that not only has her husband died, but she has no extended family. There is nobody else to take up her case. She's isolated. She is alone. She is destitute. And she has been taken advantage of. And she keeps coming back day after day after day to the judge saying, give me justice. She is on a quest for justice because she has been victimized. And day in and day out, she goes to the judge who doesn't fear God, who doesn't care about people. And her quest, her desire is justice. That she be given justice from the judge. Jesus continues the parable in verses 4 and 5. For a while, the judge refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Just as I don't care about her, I don't care about her. I don't care about her case. This lady is annoying. She is persistent and it's annoying. I wish she would go away. Not only do I not care about her, I don't care about God. And I don't care about people in general. But fine. I'll give her justice. Maybe she'll shut up and stop coming back day after day after day. I'll just appease her. And it's not because I care about God and because I think that I've, I've got this obligation to do what is just and what is right. It's not because I see her plight and I'm concerned that she's been victimized. It's not because I care about her. I don't care about anyone. But she won't quit. She's persistent. If she's that persistent, she might be a little crazy. She keeps coming all the time. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Jesus is telling his audience, don't miss the point. Pay attention. Pay attention to the response of the judge, that even though he doesn't care about God, he doesn't care about people. He certainly doesn't care about this widow and the merits of her case. He's still going to respond because she's persistent. Jesus is saying, don't miss the principle. This is the point of the parable. Don't miss the principle. And Jesus went on in verses 7 and 8, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? 
Jesus draws the contrast between the judge who's arrogant, between the judge who says, I have no fear of God and I don't care about people. Jesus draws the contrast now between this judge and between God the Father. And the contrast could not be greater. That we have a God who not only cares about us, but is intimately aware of every detail regarding us down to the number of hairs, individual hairs we have on our heads. That is the level of care and concern our Creator has for each and every one of us. The contrast between the judge who doesn't care about God, could care less about people, could not be greater. And not only that, but we have a God who hears our prayers and answers them every single time we pray. Now, it doesn't mean we like the answer that God gives us, but nevertheless, we never have to go to God our Father in prayer day after day, expecting that maybe finally now He will answer us. God is always answering our prayers. Now, sometimes it's the timetable that we don't understand and we don't like because God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, the prophet Isaiah wrote. And we can't, in our understanding, fathom what's taking God so long. We can't understand why God wouldn't immediately answer a prayer when we pray for somebody who's struggling with addiction. God, why wouldn't you intervene? Why wouldn't you answer that prayer? We don't understand why when we pray sometimes years for somebody to discover the hope of Jesus, why they haven't yet responded. We're like, God, what are you doing? We don't understand when we pray for somebody to be healed, why God wouldn't just answer that prayer. But we don't always understand how God's at work. And hence the reason Jesus said, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Always pray. And when we pray, we have the knowledge and the confidence that we pray to a God who hears us and who loves us. And he is a good God. This answer that Jesus, or this question that Jesus asks at the end of this parable is one that we have to wrestle with and one we have to answer. Because Jesus connects our faith with our prayer life. In the midst of this parable on prayer and the essential nature that we as people who follow Jesus are praying in every season all the time that we would always pray and we would not lose heart, the way Jesus ends this parable is by asking a question which ties prayer directly with faith. And the reality is this, that our prayer life is an indication of our faith. Our prayer life is an indication of our faith. And as people who love and follow Jesus, we need to be committed. We need to be committed people to this principle of prayer. We need to persevere in this discipline of prayer. And we need to be praying in every season, in all circumstances, all the time. We'll talk about the implications that has for us as a church a little later. But now we get to the second parable, the second story that Jesus told in Luke 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. 
Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, again, before Jesus even starts the parable, he tells us the point of the parable before he even starts telling us the parable. And he says, this parable is all about self-righteous people. About self-righteous people. And who think they have it all together, and as a result of their thinking they have it all together, they look down on others. Then Jesus starts his parable. And he tells us, on one hand, you have a Pharisee. You have the spiritual elite of the day. Though it's fascinating as you look throughout the Gospels, the crowd Jesus had the toughest time with were the Pharisees because these were people who had all the right answers. They had all the right answers. They could quote the Old Testament chapter and verse. They had all the right answers. But the problem with the Pharisees was that the knowledge of God that they had never made its way from their heads into their hearts. It never fully transformed them. These were spiritual people. Everybody would look at them because we can't see the heart. Only God sees the heart. They would look at them and from all the outward appearances, they would say, those are the people who get it. Those are the really spiritual people. Those are the people who live the life that's, it's a good life to live. I admire them. I admire their spirituality. And on the other hand, you have a tax collector. Somebody hated in that society. Somebody who basically had a license to steal from people because they could bring up whatever tax rate they wanted to require from people. They just had to send back to Rome the portion that Rome required, but then they could take for themselves whatever they wanted to. It was lawful theft. They would steal from people. They were hated. These are the two people in the second parable Jesus presents. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I Yet. See, we're given the glimpse into what the Pharisees' focus was on. And it was on glorifying himself. I mean, we look at this life, and it's an exemplary life. And the Pharisee is right when he says, God, I lead an exemplary life. This is the life we would want for our kids. This is the life that we would want in our neighbors. This is the life of the things that we celebrate. We don't, we don't celebrate when people extort money from other people. So the fact that the Pharisee wasn't an extortionist, we celebrate that. That's what we want. We celebrate the fact that there was a sense of justice in this Pharisee. We celebrate the fact that he was faithful to his wife. That he wasn't an adulterer. We celebrate that. This is the life that we want for our kids. This is the life that we want. This is a moral life. He raises the stakes. He says, not only do I live a moral life, but I live a spiritual life. 
I fast twice a week. While you're busy eating, I take the time to pray. Memorize scripture. That's how spiritual I am. And not only that, but God, I give. I give money to your work. But the tax collector was standing far off and not even lift his eyes up to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, the tax collector, he's intimately aware of his shortcomings. He's intimately aware that there are regrets in his life. There's shame. There are choices that he has made. There are things that he has done. We wouldn't celebrate at all. And he doesn't celebrate them. He is intimately aware of the fact that he does not deserve God's goodness. He can't buy it. He can't earn it. He doesn't deserve it. And as he does an inventory of his life, he comes to the realization, God, I got nothing to offer you. I can't brag about what I've done. I need your mercy. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Like, what? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is what God desires? Not the exemplary life? Wait, I've, I've read Scripture. God, I know that you don't want people to extort people. God, I know you have a heartbeat for justice. God, I know in the Ten Commandments it says don't commit adultery. I, I know the spiritual disciplines that are presented in Scripture, that you talk about the discipline of fasting, and you talk about the discipline of generosity, and how you will bless those things. What is happening, and what is going on? Did God not want the Pharisee to live a moral life? Did God not want the Pharisee to be involved in spiritual practices? Did God not want the Pharisee to exude generosity? But Jesus tells us it's the tax collector whose life is full of regret and remorse that walks away justified. And here's the reminder for us all. There is nothing you can do. Your good cannot outweigh your bad. You cannot buy your way into heaven. 
There is a standard of God, and that standard is perfection. And none of us measure up to it. But Jesus did. And when we try to earn it, when we try to deserve it, when we try to buy it, it's an empty pursuit. Because God is a holy God with a standard of perfection, and we don't measure up. We can't measure up. And until we come to God with that knowledge that there is nothing we can do, that it all, our salvation is all a work of what God has done on our behalf, we will never experience His forgiveness. We will never understand His grace. Until we realize we cannot earn it and we cannot deserve it. See, the Pharisee's life, it was all based on a system. And he had all the knowledge, but it was in his head. And it hadn't made its way into his heart. And as a result, there was a moral life that was lived. There was a spiritual life that was lived, and there was a generous life that was lived, but it was all tied into a system. And that system blinded him from the fact that he needed salvation. The system couldn't deliver salvation. Only a Savior could. And he found that, the tax collector found that salvation. And he realized, I don't deserve saving. But that's what's so incredible about God's grace. Is none of us do. But he loves us anyways. So why do we talk about this when we talk about who are we at Lakeside? Well, first, because we must constantly be reminded that we all have a past, and we all have regrets, and we all need a Savior. And a system will not save us. Our salvation is found not in what we do, not in what we accomplish, but through our Savior Jesus and what He has done on our behalf. Let's talk about these two parables and implications that they have for us. First, that we would be people who always, 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 always pray. And we would not lose heart. And that as individuals, we would make this a part of our lives. And then corporately, that would flow out of us. That individually, we pray for things. And corporately, we have a passion for prayer. That's why if you're not a part of the, the prayer list that gets sent out uh, every Monday and then periodically throughout the week as prayer requests come in, I cannot encourage you enough to be part of that list that you can be praying for things that are on other people's hearts and going on in other people's lives here at Lakeside because we are a community. 
And we, as part of that is we need to be praying for one another. If you aren't currently letting us know how we can walk beside you and pray with you and for you, start letting us know how we can pray with and for you. It is our privilege to pray for you. And you can do that either by filling out a card on the seat in front of you or at any time you can email prayer at lakeside-church.com. Again, that's prayer at lakeside-church.com. And those requests will then go out to the prayer list. And I know sometimes there's circumstances and situations in your life that you want somebody else to pray for, but you're like, not everybody. And that's totally cool. We understand that. So if that's the case, just write on that card. Either it's, it's for pastors only or if, if you've got a small group. Whatever the case may be, just write on that card who it's for, and we'll make sure that they only are aware of it. But let us be praying with you. Remember, Jesus ties our prayer life to our faith, and our prayer life is an indication of our faith. And at Lakeside, we need to be people who are praying individually and corporately. We need to be praying. So I'm asking you, if you're part of Lakeside, to commit to praying for us at least once a week. Ideally, it would be every single day. But we need your prayers. Are you kidding me? Like your pastoral team is Derek and I. We're, we're in trouble. We need Jesus, all right? Like if this is just on us, we're in a lot of trouble. So we desperately need your prayers and are asking you, join us in praying for God to work and to move here at Lakeside. I'm asking you, if you're part of Lakeside, to commit to doing that at least once a week, just that God would bless this ministry and that we would help people move one step closer to Jesus and we would reach those far from Him. That God would choose to utilize us for His glory. Next, is we need to be people who realize just how much we have to be thankful for. You know, I'm fascinated in this story that Jesus came up with, in this parable of the tax collector, how he made it a point to talk about the fact that he was giving. And it was a system for him. But it never moved beyond. Now, does this mean that the fact that God mentioned that in the parable, that God doesn't want us to give, that God doesn't care about giving? No. No. But we give not because it saves us. We give because it's a response to our salvation. 2 Corinthians 9.12 tells us that. 2 Corinthians 9.12 says there's a direct correlation with our giving and our salvation. Not that giving saves you. Do not misunderstand me. Giving has nothing to do with the fact of you being saved, but giving is impacted by our salvation. 2 Corinthians 9.12 says that. As a result of our salvation, we give as an overflow and an expression of our thanks for the work that God has done in our lives. Not out of compulsion. 2 Corinthians 9.6 talks about the fact that God doesn't want it out of compulsion. But God loves a cheerful giver. And as people who've experienced salvation, as people who've experienced the grace that God has to offer, there is a direct correlation. 2 Corinthians lets us know that. Of our salvation and our appreciation. Not out of compulsion. Not because we have to. 
but because it is a way we express the appreciation for what God has done for us. Now, if you're not part of Lakeside, we don't expect anything from you. But if Lakeside's your home and you're part of Lakeside, then we're challenging you to live this out in your life. And I know times are tough, and I know seasons are difficult. So if, if you're currently giving nothing, I want to challenge you to move from nothing to something. To move from nothing to something. And we do something here at Lakeside that some people scratch their heads at, and they're like, ah, I, don't, I don't understand that. But at any point in time, we have a 90-day money-back guarantee. At any point in time, if you give to Lakeside, you can come to us and say, hey, I, I need that back. And why do we do that? Why do we do that? People are like, well, that removes faith out of the equation. No, it doesn't. The fact that somebody gives for the very first time indicates their faith. But we also know this. It's incredibly difficult for people to trust God in this area of their life, especially if they've never done it. And yet we also know that Scripture is true. And we know that everything in this world, whether it's in our hands or not, ultimately belongs to God. It isn't ours anyway. And we've been called to be stewards of it. So I want to challenge you. If, if you don't give anything and you're part of Lakeside, I want to challenge you to move from nothing to something. And after a while of giving something, I want, to, I want to challenge you to go from something to make it a system in your life. And you're thinking, wait a minute, Brian. The Pharisee was doing the system thing, and that was the, the whole point of Jesus saying he didn't want the system. But it's the heartbeat behind it. It's the heartbeat behind it. And to go from something to where it's a regular part of what you do and just see how God blesses you. Because there is no doubt in my mind that when God gives us the invitation to put him to the test in an area, as he does in this area of finances, that he will prove himself true. To move from something into a system. But not to end there. The final stage is to move from a system to sacrifice. Why does all this matter? Well, last week we brought out the barrel. As we talked about, our desire is to see the Lakeshore region transformed with the hope of Jesus. That's our desire, that we would see the Lakeshore region transformed with the hope of Jesus. Jesus. And we saw that as we're going to sow more seed last week, we saw that that's going to be opportunity and that other people are going to come and they're going to check out Lakeside. But with people coming and checking out Lakeside, that means there, there are going to be opportunities and there are going to be obligations that we have because we have to serve people. And God isn't going to bring a bunch of people to Lakeside that just fall through the cracks and we don't do a good job of serving. And so we talked about stepping up and making sure we use the gifts and the passions that God has given us in the areas we are passionate about and plugging the holes so that we can see more people see their lives transformed by Jesus. And what I'm asking you today, if you're part of Lakeside to do, is to say, I will commit. I will commit to praying for the ministry. Because I understand, God, we need you. It's all about you anyway. So God, we are going to ask you to work in really big and really powerful ways. 
so we can see you accomplish some really cool things for your glory. And when God's people pray and ask him to work, and he works, and he shows up, things continue to happen, and lives continue to be changed, and the hope of Jesus continues to be expressed, and it's not dependent on us. God isn't going to say, oh, well, Lakeside dropped the ball, so people are going to hell. It's not going to work like that, but we're going to say, God, we know you don't need us, but we're begging you, please use us, because there's no greater joy than when we serve you. And to realize that ministry takes money. And there are opportunities that we will have to help more people and see lives transformed. When God's people say, it's not out of obligation, but God, thank you for what you've done in my life. And if it's nothing and you're part of Lakeside, then it goes to something. And if it's something, then it goes to a system where it becomes a plan and something you prepare for. And if it's a system, then it goes to a sacrifice. And we see God work and continue to use us for his glory. God, I pray that you would use us to accomplish your work. That you would use us to help us see lives transformed, families transformed, eternities changed for you. God, we want to see this region changed. We want to see hope win. And Lord, we know that you have a plan, and we're begging you that we would be part of that plan. God, take who we are, bless it, and use it for your glory, we are asking, Jesus. Help us see the change in this world that you want to see. Thank you, Jesus.